Let us go to God in prayer. Living Word, you still have many things to say to us. Speak, and we will try to bear them. By your Word, may the Spirit guide us into all truth, that our lives may glorify you. Amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. You can find it on page 552 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen to what the Spirit has to say to the church. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her hand. Beside the gate, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields, or the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. You can find it on page 940 of the Bibles in front of you. This passage takes place leading up to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. It's part of what John called, or what scholars call, the farewell discourse. It's about four chapters long, and it's just Jesus saying goodbye. Again, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. 
and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, because He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. For this reason, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Lord, our God, our rock and our salvation. May your spirit move upon us that we may hear what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So begins John's Gospel, proclaiming right out of the gate who John understands Jesus to be. English is remarkably deficient, and that ours is a language that lacks the nuance and layers of meaning that a language like Greek has. And in many ways, the English-speaking church has suffered greatly on this account. In Greek, logos, translated here as word, has many more layers of meaning than its English translation would indicate. On top of the English understanding of the written and spoken word, Logos in Greek philosophy often meant God's creative order. It meant the embodiment of reason. It had strong connection to uh, the Hebrew idea of wisdom, which we read about this morning in Proverbs. John borrowed these concepts from Greek philosophy to express who Jesus is right off the bat. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I think I switched those last two around. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. Jesus is the expression of the will of God. Jesus is God. All within the first verse of John. As I said earlier, this morning's Gospel is part of the farewell discourse. Four chapters of Jesus preparing His disciples for His coming departure. It is a discourse full of hard truths that should ideally be read as a whole unit to be properly understood. The discourse is replete with pleas by Jesus that His disciples share unity with one another, that they love one another, that they be on the lookout for the coming Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit. Early in this discourse, Jesus declares, I am the truth, the way, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. This famous phrase is of supreme importance if we are to understand this morning's reading. As Jesus prepares his disciples for his coming crucifixion, he tells them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, here called the Spirit of Truth. This is not the truth as we would think of it. Jesus is not talking about the Spirit of facts. Jesus is not talking about the Spirit of opinion masquerading as truth. Or even the Spirit of what we would consider objective truth with a capital T. Think back to earlier when Jesus declared that He is the way, the truth, and the life. The, tr the Spirit of truth is the Spirit of Jesus, the one who was with God, the one who is God. The Spirit of truth is the Spirit of the one who created all things. The Spirit of truth is the Spirit of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that the Spirit of truth will guide the church in all truth. The role of the Spirit is to guide the church in knowing Jesus. The Spirit does not speak on His own behalf, but instead speaks on behalf of the will of God. Notice that I said, that the Spirit will guide the church in all truth. Not that the Spirit will guide each individual Christian in all truth. English is peculiar in that it doesn't have a formal second person plural. If I'm talking to only one person, I would say you. If I'm talking to a group of people in a formal setting, I would still say you. We don't have a plural. The Greek here is the second person plural. Being from Texas, I would translate this morning's passage with y'all. <laughs> this gift of the spirit of truth is a gift that is given in plural given to a community. Jesus promised to send the Spirit of Truth to His disciples, to the community that forms surrounding His death and resurrection, to His church. I am sending to you the Spirit of Church. I am sending to y'all the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth will guide the Church of Jesus Christ in the full knowledge of Christ and wisdom and discernment. The Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ will speak the will of God to the Church. The Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ will declare to Christ's Church the things that are to come, the things that have been, and the things that are the spirit of truth the spirit of christ comes and speaks to christ's church 
sharing with her the truth of God who created heaven and earth. The Spirit is promised to Christ's church, the body of Christ. The Spirit is promised to the community of Christ's followers who gather together to worship, to lift each other up, to grow together. To be sure the Spirit is at work in our individual lives, but works that much more powerfully within the context of Christ's church. Today is Trinity Sunday in the lectionary calendar, as Donna pointed out. In many ways, the classical understanding of the Trinity is one that is beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension. We have many illustrations, many metaphors, many examples that help us to understand the Trinity. But they all fall flat at one period or another, at one point or another. Like all illustrations, there comes a point where it just falls apart. We're better off sticking to the classic formulation of three distinct persons, yet one God, as if we can understand what that meant. These are three persons who cannot exist apart from one another. They are only what they are in relation to one another. God the Father is only God the Father in relation to God the Son and God the Spirit. God the Son is only God the Son in relation to God the Father and God the Spirit. God the Spirit is only God the Spirit in relation to God the Father and God the Son. God lives in eternal community with God's self. Remember, three persons who eternally coexist to use the old language of one substance. Three persons, one God. They live in community. Strange to think of, I know. It's hard to wrap our heads around, I know. We're just left with the mystery of it all. And yet I emphasize that God lives in community with God's self. I add also that God desires to be in community with us. That is why God created us. That is why God sustains us. That is why God redeems us. God took human form to be in community with us. The Holy Spirit lives among us because God desires to be in community with us. And God calls us to be in community with one another. A community of love, a community of growth, a community of shared worship. This is why Jesus built up 
and live in a community. This is why Jesus promised to send the Spirit of Truth to communities. When we come together as a church, we gather as the body of Christ. We are made the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, which draws us into fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, and draws us into fellowship with one another. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us together, that brings us the truth of Jesus Christ, and who stirs our spirits. It is the Spirit of truth, this Holy Spirit, that draws us together as a community, that moves among us as we gather together to worship, to eat, to laugh, to play. It is this, this Spirit that is present with us whenever we gather in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God for that. <laughs>